Hello and welcome to Unpacking Contract Law, the UK-based contract law podcast delivering unsolicited opinions on new and old contract law cases. The purpose of these podcasts is to provide you with an insight into our thoughts, ideas and ideologies around all things contract law. It also provides us with an outlet for all our opinions, so you listen at your own peril. Each podcast will feature a new contract law case with a discussion from three contract law enthusiasts. And it is thus my great pleasure to introduce you to Maggie Hemsworth, Severine Santier, and myself, Tim Dodsworth. Welcome to Unpacking Contract Law. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening from wherever you are listening to us. We have a big announcement over to you, Tim. Do we? No, we, of course we have a we have a big announcement today. Some may have noticed that the audio quality of our podcast has significantly improved over the last few episodes, thanks to our new sponsor of this podcast. Yes, believe it or not, we are now sponsored, and that is Newcastle University Law School, who have kindly agreed to sponsor Unpacking Contract Law for the next year. We'll tell you more about Newcastle Law School in a bit, but for now, a big thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. This also means that we now have an editor, Luke, who is keeping us on the straight and narrow, I think, as far as humanly possible. Thank you, Luke, for all the work you're doing in the background as well. And Severine, let's begin. Thank you, Luke, uh, as well. I need to add my thanks. So today we are looking at uh, decisions by the Court of Appeal, TRW Limited versus Panasonic. Panasonic, much longer title, but for the sake of brevity, uh, TRW Limited versus Panasonic. It's a lovely, neat decision. I am already disclosing my colors. It's a contract uh, between Germany and England, so it's a contract for the sale of registers by Panasonic, the German seller, to TRW, the English buyer. Both parties uh, wanted to have uh, the contract on their own terms and conditions, and so this is an example of what we have lovingly got to know, the battle of form dispute. So quickly uh, on the fact, to put everything in context, in 2011, the English buyer signs what is called in the relationship a customer file which stated that the buyer had received and acknowledged the seller's standard terms and the actual contract itself, the delivery of the registers was a couple of years later, but 2011 is important for the signing of the customer file. So a couple of, well, quite a bit more than a couple of years later, in 2015 and 2016 respectively, individual sales contract uh, were concluded and the registers were delivered. But then TRW was not quite happy with the quality uh, of those registers, of those registers, and TRW claimed that they were defective. So therefore commenced proceedings in the English court and that's where the whole uh, saga unraveled. The 
terms and conditions of uh, TRW stated that the English courts were had jurisdiction and that the contract was subject to English law. And uh, in good battle of form dispute, Panasonic's terms and condition, which they insisted were incorporated and were governing the uh, contract, were the German courts and uh, German law. And so the High Court had to uh, decide which one uh, prevailed. And the High Court uh, decided that the even though usually the battle of form is doctrine as it is uh, lovingly known, is decided by the last shot doctrine. Here it was held that uh, the seller's terms uh, were incorporated by the signing of the customer file. There is an appeal and this is the appeal that we are discussing. The Court of Appeal confirms everything that Justice Kerr in the High Court uh, stated and so therefore considered indeed that there are possibilities to displace the last shot doctrine. And here is an example of where the last shot doctrine is displaced. And here we are, German law prevails. And so uh, the dispute is going to be sorted by German law. I should say that, of course, there are jurisdictional issues, but I propose that we put those aside completely since this is a, a contract law matter, not that it is not important or interesting, but I think we can say this is slightly beyond our pay grade. So, well, what do we say? Th- <laughs> I was say oh, yeah, of course, Maggie, of course, of course, of course. I didn't think you would, you know, you know. But so I, I, I think it's a neat decision. I should say that uh, it is heard before Lord Justice Peter Jackson, who gave the the, the decision for the Court of Appeal. Lord Justice Coulson uh, agreed, and so did Lord Lord Justice Burse. Lord Justice Coulson just added uh, a little bit to say that he didn't think there was any need to appeal. And the only criticism of of, uh, Justice Kerr is that he agreed to have the case appealed. But that's, you know. So I think it's a really neat uh, little decision, sorry, little in the sense of it's quite short in it to read, which makes uh, a change, but not little uh, in importance. But yes, yeah, so I think it's a neat decision, but maybe Tim and Maggie, I maybe do. you disagree with me. Oh, good, oh, because I do. It's oh, wrong. good. <laughs> this is not your classic ah! battle of the forms for starters. It reminds me very much of the discussion around non-clauses, uh, no oral variation clauses, modification clauses, sorry. Um, and I'm not sure this can be right. What, what we're seeing, I think, and I'm sure you'll give more structure, Severine, but I, I think what we're seeing here is kind of a, a degree of acceptance. So one is more serious than the other kind of thing. And that, that seems to be what they're trying to trying to say here but no I, I in short if that was your question do you agree with this judgment no I do not possibly I could come to the same outcome but the reasons given are I don't think right now I thought that you would have been uh, in favor of this Tim because it's banging on about the power of the signature and I thought you were a fan of the power of the signature from when we were discussing 
whether the signature sort of trumped no, uh, any obligation to draw remember. terms to someone's attention. And I thought you were generally a fan about the power of the signature. Uh, and, and the Court of Appeal here is, is definitely a fan of the power mm. of the signature. Are, are they yep. not? And um, yes. the striking thing, to my mind, at any rate, I don't know if it's intentional, given that it's a dispute between English jurisdiction and uh, German jurisdiction, is that paragraph 37 when the, the judge says this is the only occasion, this signing of the agreement, the document presented by the German side, this is the only occasion to use warfare analogy, he says, uh, when one side walked across no man's land and fraternized with the enemy. I know, I think the analogy you know, is so we're, funny. We're looking back to World War One here yeah. with the Christmas Day playing football as it were. So the analogy here is the English party had walked across no man's land and signed Panasonic's German terms and conditions. So I thought you'd be uh, in favour of that because, you know, there's the power of the signature and, and uh, the signature must have some legal status. That seems to be all the sort of thrust behind all of this. But are you like me uh, having some worries about the power of the signature in this context then? Not so much the signature. I, I agree. I mean, f first of all, they seem to have agreed. I think that's that's clear. They agreed on the first first moment in time. But one of the great things about contract law is the fact that you essentially can un undo whatever you've done before by agreeing again. Right. Offer acceptance, consideration and intention to create legal relations. And off you go. You've got you've got a new agreement. And that is part, and this is yeah. But we're we're sort of we're sort of assuming that that uh, that signing episode, as it were, is itself a, a little mini contract, uh, and that seems to be the way the court of appeal looked at it. And they were sort of waving to one side uh, any any claim that that this there wasn't a consideration for this. Do you see what I mean? That they're, they're they're saying that this is itself. A little contract, rather like a tendering contract, by signing this, uh, TRW had the chance of buying uh, resistors from Panasonic at some point in the future. But it, it's a rather peculiar way of, of uh, uh, the analogy. Well, there, that, that I it? can agree with. And I think that is pretty standard. I think that's pretty common, right? These these typical procurement contracts is that you need to go through all this rigmarole first to 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 become part of the, the company providers and that you sign documents where, within that. The difficulty here is that it seems that it's unamendable forever. I think we need to be careful here. So I, Maggie, you called it a, you, you called it a mini contract. I would say given the analogy, so, you know, the, Tim, you use the term procurement. I think we need to be, so they said it was like, an, you know, using analogy uh, uh, here, it was, similar to the process of procurement, but this is not procurement here. And so Maggie, therefore, I think it's even more than a mini contract. It is, and, and I think uh, Lord Justice uh, um, Coulson uh, used the, the, the thing, it was an umbrella agreement. So I think what they have done here is 2011 is that they have stated, do we agree to contract with each other? Yes. And then four years later, okay, so what we need is, I mean, the the, the, the judgment itself does not, um, uh, you know, doesn't tell us how many, but I, I, I want to go back perhaps later to 
uh, interpretation of the relation. So, Tim, I I would disagree with you that it is unamendable forever, um, because it is it it's just for the so on, on that I would disagree. Where potentially there is a, a, a problem is that it then in time stops everything which comes afterwards and then that the court uh, makes you know continues on the analogy of of war that you know this is one way of effectively telling parties be careful even though careful drafting you know you always want to uh, make sure that you've got the last term this is an example where the first shot doctrine for want of a better word is going to be created but for me it is interesting and perhaps we can come back to it later as to this is the court looking at how the parties do and so Tim when you said uh, it is um, uh, you know set in stone forever and that you know it can all be started again here the court actually quite spends some time looking at whether that came out of the blue and uh, Lord Justice Carlson made the point that actually it doesn't. They had done business together before. We don't know when, but the manner in which they came up uh, with their relationship should not have surprised uh, TRW. So in a way, this is, you know, common sense. And for that reason, um, the court paid close attention to whether what and how they've done things should have come as a surprise to uh, TRW and the court said no their relationship was clear it shouldn't have so it, it it is the point where actually they could have you know amended it if they had wanted and if they had made clear so that's the tiny point I disagree I think you I think you've almost made my point there so I think you've almost made my point there isn't isn't that exactly what it means when we say that's unamendable you're saying this master agreement will override really much everything well it will override everything no it's trying to say isn't it it's trying to say that's why I was using the term mini contract it's not a contract of sale it's uh it's a contract that says if we in the future, agree any uh, no. binding arrangement as to sale specific items of resistors that's nailed down in, in specificity like that, then it will be on these terms, but only on these terms. So it's, it's, it's almost, I think, in terms of analysis, I personally think it would be better to, to argue this as a, a sort of standing basis upon which an invitation to treat is being communicated. So it's not even an offer. It is Panasonic saying, if you in the future want to enter into negotiations for us for the buying of our resistors, don't yeah. try and offer any other standard terms that, that conflict with our own. Uh, so it's not an offer, it's something less than that. But the significance of it is, is sort of nailing down the ground rules, if you like, for any future negotiations, any future offer. Uh, and if you look at Panasonic's own terms, uh, they're, they're drafted rather oddly. Perhaps it's the translation from German to English, I don't know. But, th but they seem yeah. to be um, of the view that the offer of contract of sale would in the future be made by the would-be purchaser here, TRW, and the acceptance would be that of Panasonic, 
because um, they talk about it will only be binding uh, when we accept we give written confirmation or something or or failing that on delivery so th that seems to be uh, how how they would see it and i think that's aligned with english law isn't it so really all we're arguing about is what is the status legally of this pre uh, negotiation or this pre-communication hence there's the power of the signature bit that I think the Court of Appeal alighted upon and also the point Severine that you hinted at uh, about this being a standard basis on which Panasonic was dealing generally with TRW group companies so not necessarily TRW but other companies in the group that's not quite, I think, how it was analysed by the Court of Appeal. They were, I suppose they had to respond to TRW's claim that if this was a contract, that is not of sale, but as to the terms of possible future relationship, uh, there was no consideration for it. And that's one of the arguments that was made. And that's why I think the Court of Appeal went down the road to try and yeah. shut that off by saying, oh, yes, there is, because it's like tendering. And by accepting these uh, deal, these terms of Panasonic, UTRW, have in the future the opportunity or chance of uh, eventually agreeing a contract to buy specific resistors. Uh, because I suppose of this clearance, this uh, uh, security clearance that you'd have to go through because resistors, I think, can be used in, in uh, armaments. Uh, so um, maybe there has to be some screening uh, in Germany, for example, of who's buying their stuff. So I think that's how we've ended up at this sort of uh, argument. I don't know what you think about that. So um, I have no problem with well, finding it's... that that first agreement is a contract full stop. Why, why, you know, we, of course we can agree. I'll, I'll give you £10 if from now on you incorporate my terms and conditions into, into every contract that I make with you. Yeah, OK, but what were, they, what, what were they really getting? You know, is it realistic to say uh, the purchaser or the would-be purchaser has the benefit of being able to buy their stuff in the future. Is that wholly realistic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like tendering, is it? It's, it, it's, I, it's, I, I, it's I you'll be part of our preferred realistic. supplier, uh, you know, pool. That, that is, that is, you know, that's like, you know, you, you join a club, you, you know, it's, it's a membership type yes, thing. Yes, but are they, yeah. is that realistic to say a seller doesn't want TRW's business and therefore you have to go through these hoops to be permitted to join the club, it's it's oh it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? all it's not all like, larger it's companies not like do it. Tendering at all, all large companies do it. I think it's it's a common practice. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yes. And it's something. It's something of value, right? You you're on a list, so you'll be considered before others, right? It's like priority boarding kind of thing. Yeah. Except of course <laughs> you'd be called for boarding, but yeah, the, the idea <laughs> is. That's a really bad example. Well, I've done I, it have, again. I have some trouble with that. I don't think it's commercially realistic. Yeah, you're going down the you're going down the consideration route that I think they shot down in uh, in that judgment. I have no problem with the with having the contract. I don't think I don't I don't think that's a problem at all. What I have a problem with is to say that it's that that it'll override a new contract that comes along later on. That, that to me, seems impossible. Right? How, how can we bind ourselves when we then have another contract that comes? 
That, that to me, and Severin, you mentioned, I think you were referring to the, the quote in Chitty, and, and that's a, a slight side note here, is that they actually got the referencing wrong. It's not the 33rd edition they're referring to, it's the 32nd edition. Um, <laughs> anyway, if we have a look at that, they're also not giving the full quote. They say, well, with careful draftsmanship, you can get out of this. No, it goes on and it says the most that a draftsman can be certain of is achieving a stalemate situation. In other words, Chitty is actually acknowledging it's you can you can try with careful drafting to override future terms, but it's actually impossible. But I think if because the other party can be just as just as careful and then you're back to square. But I think so I think to answer. So I'm getting worked up. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's great. So I think it's just the way, <laughs> the the way Maggie, uh, you know. So the way and you know the, the terms, framework, agreement, umbrella agreement. So I agree with Maggie that you know it is. So it is a framework agreement, and so it's not a contract of sale. It is you know a membership. You know, I quite like the, the analogy of you know you're part of the club. So now Thanks. you are a preferred. You know, you've got the status of you know we 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 are quite happy to deal with you. And then after that, the details. Uh, but there are some overriding conditions and terms. One of which, the most important one here, is the uh, jurisdiction clause. So they can modify things but not the overall framework so i think that's what uh, the way i understand it i mean you i can understand why you would have a, a problem with it but therefore there is it's a, a contract within a contract so maybe these the wording needs to be sorted so maggie earlier when you talked about i can understand why you know is this a contract or is this a pre-contractual you know so i think that's where we get into trouble because i agree with you tim that you should not the whole point of contract theory being based on consent is that indeed you know and and the judges and and Coulson himself does say that that actually you can provided that it is you can override things because Coulson said and I think that's where interesting part of the judgment is as well amongst us other things that he says that looking at the way the party were doing business was it something that should have come as a surprise I know it's not quite how he said it but therefore here it's also a common sense approach that you know the parties always have the possibility as long as it is clearly stated that they disagree with it and here that was not so the overall uh, you know the signing of the customer file is indeed maggie i, I can see I'm, I'm not you know we, we call it a, an umbrella agreement a framework agreement and within that framework then we work out the details what i find quite interesting is that one of the um usual disagreements to all these things is the lack of certainty so i think if you know if we, we can bring that in. Usually the courts, we know that in relation to, you know, as we tell our students, you know, an offer has to be sufficiently certain. So here the, the court didn't even uh, touch that. But could we argue that therefore the um, umbrella agreement was not sufficiently certain? Uh, that is another. But here the court therefore looked at it from a very business-like 
look, that's how the parties done, you know, did business before. There was nothing in uh, TRW uh, which showed that they didn't uh, agree with it. So here we are. They've done that before, you know, etc. Et I think I think you have to remember the context of this particular claim because it's not a claim at trial. Yes, it's that a claim is also about true. the mini dispute as to jurisdiction. You are right. And, and and that colours it greatly because the 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 hurdle for TRW yeah. to surmount over the, the first instance yeah. decision that's been made, I think is that bit much harder, as it were, because it, it's almost like you're sort of uh, suggesting, Severine, that, that the court doesn't want to spend hours and days over these particular points uh, it's uh, have we got enough to show that the jurisdiction is properly placed in England and Wales? So it's a, a kind of like a, a, a realistic or, or practical uh, basis upon which to proceed rather than, you know, a, a very close analysis, perhaps, of of uh, the ins and outs of the contractual terms. No, you are absolutely uh, right. Yeah, certainly we don't get into the merits of of the dispute. It's simply whether the contract was made, for example, in England or broken in England, or, or the terms uh, are clear that it's governed by English law, and and so that's really all one has to show uh, and i think that that makes it so much harder for trw once once you've got a decision saying the weight of the argument is with the german side uh, that it's more likely than not that the terms here were german and jurisdiction was german yes yes that is very true do you know whose argument always carries a lot of weight no. our sponsor ah. newcastle law school because newcastle law school provides genuine research-led teaching so you can explore contemporary legal issues taught by experts in their field learn more about the international commercial law llm or international and global challenges llm by visiting ncl.ac.uk thank you newcastle law school for sponsoring us back to it Sounds very American, you know. Where, where the, the, you know, a note from our sponsors, and it and it comes in in the middle of a program. That that's that's uh, very neat and U.S. style. So I hope there's any U.S. listeners they'll appreciate that. I do think we have a few U.S. listeners actually. So hello <laughs> across the pond, um, dear cousins. <laughs> that's it. Right. Uh, I wanted to come in on on two. So I like the common sense idea, but um, I'll come to that in a moment. I think the argument of certainty, I think, Severine, you were referring there to paragraph 33, where it specifically mentions certainty as one of the underlying ideas here. But I think that's under actually undermined. I think that's undermined by having this idea that there could always be an agreement in the background that will override the new agreement, which means that no matter, particularly for companies, you would have to trawl through all that was there before to find these previous contracts that, that are there. What we want is certainty in that if I create a new agreement and I say, well, for this agreement, these terms will apply, then that should be it. Surely that, that's the way, you know, if we've got consideration for that, that should be the overriding, well, deal. That, well, that should remem be it. Remember so I don't think certainty is a, God, is, is a good example here, or is, is a good well, justification. Well, the point I would make about certainty is that the parties decide 
what are the essential terms. Uh, and so the law doesn't interfere a great deal on that as long as those terms are sufficient uh, for there to be enough content for, for a contract. So the very basic things would be the items that you're buying and the price, for example. Uh, beyond that, the parties decide what additional terms uh, that they want. And uh, there is certainty here because they are nailing down the specific terms that are important to to them. So, so I don't think that's that's not going to get anywhere. Uh, if you look at the Panasonic terms, it does leave out the possibility of agreeing in the future other terms, buyers' terms. So on their own terms, it is not forever binding to this. Their own Panasonic terms uh, have the possibility of a future contract of sale that is on a different basis than Panasonic's, but that it nails it down. It has to be in writing and, and possibly, I can't remember, but uh, signed by somebody from Panasonic. So it's, it's, they're not shackling uh, a purchaser forever. There is some prospect of, of not dealing on these particular terms. So and that's that's where I can come in and say that's okay. So I think that that does make it better if there's some kind of limit on it, if you can get out and move around with it. How I read it here was that there was that was almost no way out of this. And I would Well been... there is there is a way out because you would have both parties, irrespective of that term that says uh, uh these terms will apply unless we agree other terms with you and we sign to that effect. But even without that clause, both parties could always in the future, unless there's some term that says otherwise, you can always in the future say, OK, we're now going to tear up those terms that we had agreed back in 2011 and uh, we're starting on again on a different basis. That's always possible. But didn't they do that? Isn't that exactly what they did when they say, well, let's actually deal on our terms and conditions? Well, if you have a look at it in terms of, uh, no, I don't think so. So I think that and that was a point that uh, Coulson made that, you know, the only possibility for the 2011 not to be binding is for the uh, parties to make it clear in writing that they were disagreeing with it. So I think the problem with the uh, battle of form is that, so by the fact that Again, so here we have to look at it in terms of the court, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm going back to paragraph 33, and I slightly disagree with you, Tim, that it, it, it shows certainty. I think, it, again, if you read till the end of paragraph uh, 33, I think they, they quote the fact that it is necessary in order to promote effective commercial relationships. So I think here the underlying, and I go back to the business common sense, et cetera, et cetera, and looking at the interpretation of everything that they have that the, the parties have done and so dare I say here they are looking wider than you know the, the paper they're also looking at the relation so here we have the relational contract yes I have made a plug to relational contract uh, <laughs> 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 that is very underhand that is very very underhand but on a serious note so here the uh, I've lost the train of my thought do bear with me so yes, the, uh, the, the, the effective uh, business relation is what is important. And so the problem with the battle of the form is that it is not necessarily 
always clearly indicated that um, this is what we're trying to do. So I think when Coulson said that a, a contract can always be torn up by effectively saying we are rejecting and we want you to agree in writing, he says that towards the end, I should have taken note of the paragraph, we are, uh, you, you are agreeing in writing uh, that, you know, this has been torn off. So for me, that is not... Uh, th that is important in how the court yeah, But that's not a certainty uh, point, it. is it? That is the um, Tim's point about future fettering, that the fettering of your future dealings. Is it possible to uh, tie your hands in, in that way? Um, and, and, the, and the point that I think Severine and I were both making is that these particular terms were not a total fetter because of that provision that we could in no. the future we don't hold we don't uh, throw out the possibility we panasonic of dealing with customers uh, on other terms than these but but you're going to have to go through a very yes. careful um, process to evidence it in documents before that, that is so and and that i can agree with but i mean then then we have to ask ourselves why not then have the position of being able to bind yourself forever and ever unamendably Right, if we're going to allow that, right, and the superiority then of the contract document to the common law, as it were, then why can't, you know, why couldn't we technically then bind ourselves forever? And I think here, I'm, I'm leading into something here, I think here the possible solution lies in, remember that case on good faith and lock in and lock out a few years ago, that was quite hot. Petromec. Wolford and Miles, I think. No, Petromec. Yeah, Petromec, Wolford and Miles and all of those. Um, the idea was there that you can negotiate in good faith or you can enter into a contract to negotiate in good faith so long as you're locking yourself in, uh, locking others out rather than you locking yourself in. And that seems to work by analogy here, I think, is that you could say, OK, you can you as long as you've got either a time limit or an exit strategy from the contract, as in possibly here, then then it is OK to bind yourself. But not if it is forever. I don't I don't think English. I don't think English law has a has a stance on that. Yeah, I don't in, think in so. I mean, you can. It is possible no. to well, no, I'm not sure about that because Staffordshire yeah. Waterworks, for example, they then imply a term that that that, that you can get out that that after a reasonable amount of time, the contract will come to an end. So that was the case of um, a contract for water supply. Uh, to a hospital, I believe. Yes, uh, but but remember, for an implied term, that that's going to be quite difficult and very well, fact specific, an implied term isn't in law. it? I'm I'm just talking in principle. There isn't an English rule. Yeah, okay, but in it, that's specific to that particular context. Nevertheless, uh, in principle, English law doesn't, I think, have a view about whether you you are binding yourself well, forever. I... It's within your power as a contracting party to decide for yourself. It's just uh, unlikely, isn't it? Well, I, I can't see how it would be accepted. And maybe, you know, the, 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 the decision for the next podcast should be actually, that's quite a neat point, uh, Tim, about the Staffordshire uh, decision, which I have to admit, uh, to confess, I can't quite remember. Uh, but it seems to me that, it, it it seems it seems impossible to say that 
you know, a, an English court would agree that you can bind yourself uh, forever. Um, even why not though? Well, why I not? think given given the high position that we have for freedom of contract and freedom Here comes to comparative decide law. for oneself. Because then I think it would be, well, I don't know, it's not possible in, in, in uh, under French civil law, so that okay. I'm, I'm, well, I'm using we, a, we a, might, we a, might a way out here. So, yeah, you know, we might need to compare and contrast. Yeah, I know, we've got into comparative law. If you look at, uh, so Tim mentioned the um, the, the, the Petromec and, and the Wolford and Miles, here, one what you know, one of the reason in 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 the Petromeg uh, for uh, looking again at Welford and Miles was that Welford and Miles there was no 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 terms, no exit strategy, etc., etc. Sounds familiar. So the court in yeah <laughs> no in 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 the Petromeg they said you know as long as it is clear and certain. So the in perpetuity and agreeing in perpetuity might seem to be clear, but all the consequences uh, seem unrealistic. Would anybody, you know, uh, would a reasonable man understand that? Um, what would a reasonable man understand to be in perpetuity? So what does that mean in perpetuity? That if you die, then the contract goes in, you know, to to your descendants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know. Well, it would. All of that would depend on the nature exactly, of the contract. You know. I think it's just highly unlikely yeah. that anyone uh, receiving legal advice would uh, ever have gone yeah. down yeah, that in road. Any case, yeah. So I, I'd be very surprised if there is a case that's bang on yeah. this point. Because it, it's an... Well, it's quite literally South Staffordshire Waterworks is, is, is the well... case in which they bound themselves forever. <laughs> and then we needed... Well, Lord Denning tried to do it. What was it? Via frustration. But the others made it pretty clear that it was not if i remember this well, perhaps, it's a long yeah, time yeah well perhaps that's case. showing you what a rare event this is and english law doesn't really uh, have a have a clear response there and, and i'm just suggesting to you that uh, as a matter of principle english law tends not to intrude in the decisions that a contracting party has made if they've made them clearly and of their own free will um, then in principle, you, you may bind yourself as long as it's lawful to, to anything in principle. In, in principle, but here I think in practice we are looking at, at, at a different beast. So of something that I wanted to say earlier, if we look, so in, in light of, you know, the defining the signing of the two of the customer file as a framework agreement or an umbrella agreement, as they referred to it, uh, as uh, Coulson referred to it. It's also important to see that uh, the the details, as you've said, Maggie, are to be sorted out uh, in 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 a different uh, contract. And here, it is important to note that actually, TRW's conditions were much more elaborate, uh, were much longer than Panasonic. So, I think when we, you know, effectively, so. Um, the, the 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 supply were the beginning of the relation and then the details to be sorted out in in an individual uh, contract for want of a better word so therefore we're not really comparing like for like so the process by which they decide how many resistors and on on which price is then defined on an individual basis so therefore we have the overall relationship if we want to try to differentiate because i agree with 
um, uh, Maggie, and and I think Tim, you made the same point of what is it that we are discussing here? So we have an umbrella agreement, and then within that umbrella, we've got sales contract, and so uh, effectively here, the membership, the you know, to use your analogy again, uh, Tim, that is what defines the relationship, but the details are to be sorted. So everything that came from TRW was a sales contract and so therefore is a different beast for me right so i think what... well i think you'd probably have to look at the wording of it because yes. it, it's probably uh, broad enough to cover uh, all of the dealings between these particular parties uh, so in a, in a sense it's probably on their terms broad enough to have uh, covered the situation were it not for the fact as you say that there was this umbrella arrangement I don't know what Tim thinks about that. So what, we're, what we're trying to say, or what, what I think the court was trying to say, is one of the difficulties was, did, did Panasonic really know about what these terms were? And that's a point that you couldn't really argue. So the, it, it was just not given to them to argue this point. It's one of the difficulties I think we have with this objectivity approach is that did did Panasonic have any clue, really, or at least their legal department, did they have any clue that they were entering, potentially entering into this other arrangement that wasn't compatible or wasn't really compatible I I just, with the overarching it's not agreement? Really, it's not really a pertinent, uh, acceptable question, though, is it? Uh, no, because, but that uh, seems to be, to me, it, what they're trying to answer. It's a much better explanation for this weird judgment. No, is I, it? Unless... I, I, why? On which point? Well, because because it seems to me that what what TRW was trying to TRW right yeah TRW were trying to do is sneak this agreement in under under the radar as it were, knowing full well that there was this overarching agreement. No, that no, they were trying to say if you look at the period of time between this umbrella arrangement mm. and the actual purchases, I think they are they are trying to say that. Um, you know, we got all this paperwork from Panasonic, uh, but it, it did not um, to appear to a reasonable person that there was a connection between this paperwork and the eventual uh, contracts that we entered into for the purchase of resistors. It was like four or five years apart. Yeah, but they will have known yeah. that they had to it go was. through the struggle of becoming yes, a... Um, I mean... Uh, well, yeah, I know. You, you, you make quite a lot of that, and I suppose the Court of Appeal had to uh, to, to get over uh, this problem about this umbrella arrangement and, and the, the status of it. But that's, that's a point that I have real difficulty with, drawing an analogy between this and tendering. Because tendering, you have the opportunity of making a profit and doing lots of work for someone in a, in a contract. So you can see much more clearly there an obvious practical benefit in terms of a chance to make money. But to my mind, I hear what you say about, you know, being a member of the club and all the rest of it. I still think that is commercially unrealistic. Panasonic will want to sell resistors to whoever they can get their hands on uh, and everyone that they can get their hands on. And, and it's rather um, abstract or uh, unrealistic to to say that somehow the, uh, the customer has to uh, 
pass all these tests to be in with the chance of buying from them. I don't, you know? I don't think, I don't think me, so. I think that seems... I've got to pass tests before I can buy something from someone. I would tell the seller where to <laughs> It go. is true that he... You, you have seems... not recently been trying to buy a mobile phone or any technology equipment, I think. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I, no I, think it's, I think it's common practice. I mean, one of the... Um, particularly on the supplier side... Um, I mean, this is quite unusual that this is kind of the seller side, but usually on the supplier side, it is very common that you want to make sure that you're checking out the people before you well, buy or sell to them. So Panasonic, for example, are probably used to dealing in extreme volumes, right? They're not just selling one or two resistors. This is going to be yeah, millions, millions. Yes. One thing you want to make sure is, for example, the other company has the capacity to process it, has, um, has the money to pay yes. for it has the facilities to actually, you know, you don't want to be dealing with numpty down the road. You, you want to make sure that you're dealing with large, other large businesses, for example, that can actually cope with what you're going to be doing. Panasonic has no interest in supplying their resistors to, to the, the little repair shop down the road. I don't think that's, I don't think that's uh, realistic at all. I think a seller in the business of manufacturing an item uh, that once they are part possession of with this item is gone to them and they don't care about it anymore. Do except, they really care about? Except as you said it? at the beginning, these resistors can also be used in 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 weapons, and I think there is a point at, at, oh, yeah. at oh, yeah. Yeah. there is a there, there is an element in in the judgment to say that they're not making weapons of. Uh, destruct, destruction. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I I have to me when I read it, I thought, well, oh, that's a bit left field but now that makes complete sense so perhaps it's it's also a way of vetting um yeah, and so that's why example. they want to keep that, that that would make you know if that is indeed the primary objective for these uh you know signing of the of the customer uh file then that would make complete sense uh, that indeed they want to keep um um german jurisdiction and you know yeah, so Yes, but but do you see what I'm saying? That uh, it, it's uh, I think it, in conceptual terms uh, a different thing from passing a filtering uh, test, as it were, a security test, a armaments use test that is imposed by regulations by international conventions or your own domestic statutory requirements. That, to my mind, is a quite a different thing from. Um, a, a tendering arrangement and having the opportunity of buying from them in the future. The, the, the screening, the filtering thing is, is done because of external rules placed upon a manufacturer, a seller of items that could be used contrary to law. And, and they've used that, in a sense, to slip their, <laughs> their terms and conditions in into that uh, scheme, and I, that, that's why con I have conceptually. Let's why why shouldn't I be allowed to say, you know, listen, Maggie, I I sell you I don't know straw um, for the donkeys um, on a on a regular basis. I can't use that in a in a in a unlawful fashion, though, Ooh. can I? To, you could you could create a big weapons. bonfire or something like that, which is <laughs> I don't know. But you know why why wouldn't I be able to say from now from now on? I know you're one of my difficult customers. From now on, every contract we're going to have from here out on out, I, I want these terms and conditions in. So you just have to call me and say, I want 20 bales. And I say, yeah, OK. 
You know, that that part I have yes, no yes, problem I, with. I don't I don't have any trouble with that. It's the analysis and the way in which it is explained that I have trouble with. Um I think it's fine to say this isn't I'm not making an offer. I am the supplier or seller of something. I'm not making an offer, but if we in the future do business together, it is an understanding that uh, any terms that we're discussing will be these terms. I think that's So would that fine. just be the statement and you don't... rather than a contract in yes. itself? You're saying there's uh, no well, contract in, in for plis- that? It's no, yes, I, I'm saying this is, this is artificial to give it the language and analysis a of a contract. It doesn't need to be that and it's been made... More complex That's, by that. It is simply that, the terms, that I probably the would agree with. Trading. How about this then? In the straw example, I say to you, you can be my preferred buyer. I'll give you 10% off if from now on out, my terms and conditions will apply to all contracts that we use. Okay, that's probably a bit different. If you say a preferred buyer, if I'm saying to you, okay, straw is short in supply this year, there's been a very bad harvest. Um, if I am guaranteed to be always head of the queue, in other words, uh, I will get delivery when other people might be uh, left out at the end of the queue and, and not getting delivery, then I can see that that actually would work analytically as there a you contract. Go. Yeah, I know, but that's not, you're changing the facts now. Okay, it's very <laughs> fact specific. And all I'm saying to you is in this case, I don't think it really works. Uh, I think it's fine to say any future dealings between us will be on these terms and on no other. That's fine, but you don't need the language of this being a contract. It is simply that any offer that might be made in the future has naturally and this embedded in it. I think the it. reason why they have put it in terms of contract it's because if we use anything else then we get into trouble so tim you talked about a statement of intention well we know that uh, you know that is oh i think you, you look puzzled by that tim maybe maybe that's I not i don't remember you know, saying it but said, it's but something I, I, that i could have said yeah if okay so let's say yeah so because if we say that the customer file is the statement of intention, then we go into the thing of whether that was, you know, all the, um, you know, letters of intent, sorry, intent, I think you used, but the, so a statement of intention or a letter of intent, then we need to have the problem of, okay, so did they mean to do that? And so that we know that the courts are not keen on, you know, for certainty to accept that a letter of intention or a statement of intention or a gentleman's agreement has any binding uh, value. Or can well, I finish? Can no, I finish? No, it's not binding in the sense you talk about contract. So, yes, and, and the other thing is, so you both use the thing of if we do that, so could, we, you know, again, the other the other possibility would be a condition precedent. And then again, we get into trouble. So I think the, I agree with you that it complicates things by looking at it in terms of a contract, but that is the only way it can a solve the problem of the uh, battle of form uh, because it overrides uh, everything and it makes it clear that this is the overarching thing. So 
anything else would probably not have been would have been more difficult to be convinced so that I, it was I wonder whether that's the, the issue that, that we've been talking about battle of the forms when really this is battle of the contracts the, the battle of the forms as, as I understand it from Butler machine tool is that really the traditional analysis would be there's no terms and conditions Right. Okay. I think Chitty suggests as two. It's an offer and acceptance. When it's an issue, offer and acceptance, which here we don't have. There's no question as yeah. to whether offer acceptance consideration has happened on the first contract. No. And ah, uh, yeah, but yeah. Hang here on. we go. Hang on, hang on. You you can't talk about an offer and acceptance in the abstract. I go on about this to students. It's it's meaningless. It is simply a label. Uh, an offer of what? An acceptance of what? It's naturally you've got to look at the terms. So the, an offer has a con, has some contents, and that is the terms. So you can't divorce the two uh, from yes, one another. Yes, I would. I would agree. No, but, but it is true. I don't think that's the issue. Yeah, here. I, I completely agree I with. I think here they are using. So whether whether you use a a, a battle of form or the or the exception battle of contract. I mean, a battle of form is a battle of contract. You know, it's you know you by by agreeing to that you agreeing to the contract. So it is in terms of offer and acceptance. But effectively, this is you know whether you have you know agreed to um you know to, to my terms hereby forming the contract provided that there is consideration and so the but but here the for me that was the only way for the reason that I've stated earlier about you know if you give it another label then we get into more trouble to see whether this is binding well more accurately we should be talking about battle of terms shouldn't we and, yes. And that's yes. why I'm talking about an offer is just a label. You have to think about what, what you're really talking about. You're really talking about the terms. So whose whose terms yeah. is is this contract? And there is only one contract of sale. Whose terms is it that govern that contract, yeah. basically? So are you essentially then are, are we essentially then saying so when TRW says we'll buy resistors off you? Yeah. Then yeah, okay, that's an offer. That they're making they're making the offer, but when Panasonic signed it, no, received it. Panasonic seemed to. They got yes, an email, Panasonic's they? terms seem to suggest that it is the purchaser who makes the offer. Mm -hmm. uh, but what yes. they're trying to say on this umbrella arrangement, as you, as you call it, Severine, is that that offer is implicitly made on Panasonic's terms. And therefore, the acceptance comes from Panasonic and naturally yes. also on Panasonic's terms. That's the way Panasonic has drafted their paperwork, I think. And therefore, you don't actually need to talk about an umbrella contract or a pre-contract or any of, any of that sort of uh, construct. You only have to say that the paperwork from Panasonic... It was implicit in the dealings that they had that any future offer to be made by the purchaser would be on these terms that you, the would-be purchaser, have signed. That's where the okay, and, and that's, that's where I the think would perhaps okay. have been a clearer and a, a clearer yes. bit of reasoning uh, to this particular case, and it's become. Yeah. Uh, more complex than it needs to, and I think I can see why, that um, the point that we made 
a, a while ago now, TRW had an uphill struggle to find grounds to to uh, overturn the decision that had previously made. Yes. So they were pulling whatever they could out. So they were then trying to say, oh, but there's no consideration. You've talked about this being a contract, this umbrella arrangement being a contract, but where is the consideration for that? So then the Court of Appeal was led down this road. They had to deal with that. They had to answer it. Uh, and, and so they said, oh, well, there is consideration because it's like tendering or procurement. And that's, you know, you've got... One mistake, in my view, if I say that with respect, which has now become compounded because you've had to deal with that unnecessary mistake and complication with with further complication, which I think is mistaken. Yeah, I think the uh, in order to solve our problem, I think the judge at paragraph forty six, so Coulson recognizes that actually the customer file, you know, he talks about uh, the ubiquity of the customer file, and you know, responding to the fact that the signature doesn't amount to an acceptance. So I think you know there is, and and here uh, Coulson, you know, does say that you know agreeing with the judge that the signature was not simply an acknowledgement of the document, it was so much more. And then after that, he does again at the end of the paragraph, uh, saying it's a mechanism expressly envisaged. So therefore, indeed, here, it doesn't matter what we call it, you know, the customer file is specifically designed, it is a mechanism. So maybe, maybe here we have a, a different word. And, you know, again, I go back to the common sense and 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 to the you know efficiency or the need to uh, look at it in terms of what makes sense in the light of what has transpired between the parties. And uh, Coulson here looks again at paragraph forty six, you know, looking at the history of the commercial relations between the party. So therefore, here the you know the customer file is a mechanism, is something which is done precisely. Uh, to try to avoid any problems uh, in the future. I think future. I might use the label, it's ground rules. It was the ground rules for any yes. future contract. Yeah, I would that agree with that. doesn't make it itself yeah. a yeah. contract. That's basically my main point. But it is the, the ground rules upon which we do later contracts. Yeah, yes. And so therefore, I do agree with you that the whole thing is is perhaps more complicated than it, you know, the, the labelling it as a contract probably overcomplicates Sounds like uh, we're things. agreeing. So that's two, two, one, therefore, uh, Maggie that's and it. I, yeah. Maggie, we are, <laughs> I know. Two, one, and we've won. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I do think we have reached the end, uh, although I'm going to, I'm going to persist. I have no problem in finding that this is a contract. Um, the problem I have is being able to bind yourself beyond a okay. second contract. That's that's well, we fair. we'll have that to would agree be my summary to, of yeah, my point, and I'm disagree. sticking with it to the grave. I have bound myself now for the rest of my time. <laughs> okay, I think that is uh, probably a good time to stop. But maybe um, we can, of the air, decide what should be our next um, our next uh, podcast. Uh, but that is for us to do off the air. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Maggie and Tim, uh, for the lively uh, discussion. Uh, can I also thank uh, Luke for his uh, editing and listening to us and uh, telling me that I need to do a few things to help with the sound. So thank you very much. And with that, thank goodbye. Thank you very much, dear listener. Thank you very much. And remember... 
Remember, you can always contact us on unpacking.contract.law at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs>